You're listening to the Straight Up Saints Podcast. Merry Christmas, Saints fans. The New Orleans Saints come out with a big-time win over the Minnesota Vikings, 52-33 to improve to 11-4. Also clinch the NFC South title in the process and knock those Vikings out of playoff contention, which is probably the sweetest part about it. So, indeed, Merry Christmas, you filthy animals out there in Minnesota. And there's a lot to take away from this game, and I'll talk about each little segment. I'll talk about Breeze, the defense, uh, not really talk about special teams because they didn't even punt during this game. It was that effective for them. Uh, But the, the main story, and the guy who deserves all the praise on this Christmas day, especially after the way he played Alvin Kamara. Alvin Kamara wasn't even good. Wasn't even great. I can't use those words because that would literally downplay what he did today. He was historic six rushing touchdowns, 155 yards on 22 carries. I said before the game, I saw the red and green cleats and I tweeted, He's going to have 150 scrimmage yards. I seriously underestimated the dude. He had over over 170 scrimmage yards, six touchdowns. He was unstoppable. And you saw from the get-go on the first drive, Saints ran the football well. He had 50 rushing yards on the first drive. So he was just in a zone from the very beginning. And it lasted throughout the game. And the Saints stuck with the run. For all those people, including myself, that say, man, Sean Payton should stick with the run. Well, he did it. And it paid off. Kamara, 155 rushing yards. Latavius Murray, 72 rushing yards. The Saints were fantastic in that department. Um, and Alvin Kamara is probably going to get fined for wearing those cleats. And he decided to double down and make Roger Goodell look like the big-time douchebag that he is by saying whatever the fine is, he's going to take that number, double it, and give it to charity. So, Alvin Kamara, we love you. We appreciate you. And this is the last thing I'm going to say about 41 because I'm not going to make this that lengthy of a podcast. It is Christmas. Um, it's at night. Going to enjoy the rest of the time that I have with my family here. But what I want to say about Kamara, the man is underpaid. They gave him a five-year, $75 million deal, and he's underpaid. Could you imagine the price tag if he didn't get that deal before the season began? It would be a lot. I remember there was bozos on here saying that maybe they should trade him. That's why I told you from the beginning, you never trade a guy like this. He's too talented, a great leader as well. Love number 41. This was his best game as a pro. And at the right time, he's clicking. He looks healthy. He looks energized. And with the playoffs coming up in two weeks, that's what you want from Alvin Kamara. So big game. From him. Now let's talk about his quarterback, Drew Brees, because there are mixed reviews on this one. I have people telling me he stinks. I have other people saying it's not his fault. Let's find a middle ground here, folks. Let's find a middle ground on Drew Brees. So, in terms of efficiency, 19 of 26, not bad. 311 yards, also pretty darn good. No touchdowns, two picks. I never look at the touchdown thing. When when Alvin Kamara has six rushing touchdowns, you're getting to the end zone. So that's not a problem. You're getting in the red area and you're getting where, where you want to be. So I'm not looking at the touchdown part. The two picks, let's assess both picks. The first one, I would give 80 to 90% of the blame on Drew Brees because it's not a bad, it's not a good throw or a good decision. And the other 10% is Jared Cook has to run a better route. And the reason I say that, and Troy Aikman did a good job of showing when you're going to run that out, you need to straighten it. You need to straighten that line going to the sidelines. He kind of like leans outward. Um, now, Brees' throw probably doesn't even hit him if he does run the route correctly. But Jared Cook and Drew Brees just really aren't on the same page, which is disappointing. But I will give Breeze absolutely all the blame. The second one, not Breeze's fault. Uh, was it a great throw? No. Did it hit Emmanuel Sanders in the damn hands and he dropped it? Yes. So I'm not blaming him for the second pick. The, the thing that I really blame when the second pick happened was the Saints were running the ball with, with purpose. They couldn't be stopped. Why even throw the football? I said, why can't we make this the Bills game of the 2018 season where they just ran over him and it was easy. It was light work for this offense. Why couldn't you just do that? I think they got a little bit too cute. And it came back and bit him in the ass with that interception. But I'm not really blaming him there. I would take one pick off or would take an incompletion off. So when I'm adjusting my stats, I'm looking at a 20 
of 26 day with zero touchdown, one pick, 311 yards, probably more yards actually because that's a completed pass. So I didn't think Breeze played bad. Here's where I want to talk about Breeze. Breeze has his moments where he still looks great. And what I mean by that is there's a play where Austin Carr's not open and somehow the ball landed in Austin Carr's chest. Do you know how? Because only Drew Brees can put the ball in certain windows. In a certain yard range, in the 20-yard range, he could still do it. He's a surgeon with some throws. There was a throw he made at Manuel Sanders in between the corner and the safety over the middle. Beautiful throw, beautiful diving catch as well. But he can still cut it loose there. The problem with Drew is he can't throw it deep, and that's fine. I'm okay with Drew not being able to throw it deep. But don't force something that isn't there. You can be a game manager at Drew Brees' level, because you are so precise and so accurate and so great at the line of scrimmage that you're really not a game manager or an advanced version of it, but the team's going to benefit from that. The team's not going to benefit from Drew trying to take deep shots. That's not his MO. It wasn't his MO in his prime. It's definitely not his MO at age 41. So he needs to find a way to play his game, which he did for the most part of this Vikings one, but also at the same time, don't take unnecessary risks. And I know Drew's always been a gunslinger in that regard, and he does take those shot plays, But if you can limit those, I think it really helps this football team. Because the one thing you can't do if you're the Saints, you can't turn it over. You just can't. And if Breeze is going to make those mistakes, it's a problem. He really actually should have had a third pick, but Callaway knocked it away. Brilliant job by Callaway. So Drew just has to avoid that. And something that I noticed, and I tweeted about it, and you guys did too, Drew was off on the throws where he's bracing for contact. Jared Cook bailed him out by coming back to the ball on another throw. And then the throw that I talked about with Callaway, Drew was going to get hit and he kind of braced for it. And that ball just died in the in the air. So Drew's obviously not going to be 100%. We know this. He's got to get the ball out quick and he's got to find a way if he can. And it's not going to, there's no perfect situation in the NFL. But if Drew can avoid that scenario as many times as possible, that'd be great. Because you could see he's almost like grimacing and he wants to get that ball out quick. And then immediately after he gets that ball out, kind of shield his ribs. You don't have time to do that in an NFL game. These defenders are too quick. So if Drew can figure that out, that would be absolutely great. So just be a efficient, precise, smart game manager. But you obviously have that plus because Drew is better than any game manager that you've ever seen. So I, I still think he's the guy. I'm never going to question that. And if, if in the two-minute drill in certain situations, Drew still makes some really great throws. But he just needs to know when to and when not to cut it loose. Cut it loose a little bit too many times. I actually noticed he's being a little bit more uh, aggressive with the football since coming back, which I did not expect. But hey, his shoulder looks good, but he needs to know when and when to throw that ball and when to pull it down. And we'll see. Two weeks left until we get to the playoffs. We'll see what happens there. Um, I want to talk about some offensive players, though. I thought Emmanuel Sanders, albeit the drop wasn't great, he did have some good moments there. He had 80 yards on four catches. I thought that was impressive. He needed to step up in Michael Thomas's absence, and he did it there. And how about Adam Troutman? Two catches for 45 yards. The big man starting to make plays. He's making plays in the running game, too, as a blocker, which is really good. And Jared Cook, over 80 yards. I was really impressed with Jared. I thought he had a pretty good game. Happy for him to see him back at that level um, making productive plays. Let's talk about the offensive line because that's a hot take on Twitter, or a hot topic, I should say. James Hurst was at left guard. You had Cesar Ruiz at right guard. I thought Ruiz had his best game with the Saints. I thought he was great in the run game. I pointed out a block he had on the first Alvin Kamara touchdown. Brilliant block. A block. They slide, uh, slid him from the right to the left. Seals that off. Opens the, the hole for Kamara. Kamara takes it to the house. Great job by Ruiz. And James Hurst, we need to have a we need to have a discussion here because this is going to be something that really annoys us late in the year. Andrews Pete hurt. James Hurst comes in. It's one game. The sample size is really small, but Hurst in that one game probably looked better than I've seen Pete play at all this year. And I'm not saying that it's going to happen because it's not going to happen. 
but I feel so much more comfortable sometimes when Pete's not in the lineup, and that really is an indictment on how bad he is when he messes up. When Pete doesn't mess up, okay, cool, but the time that he messes up, it's such a big mistake, it's such a fuck-up that it really just throws off this whole offense. He's on his ass, and all of a sudden, his quarterback gets lit up, you know, hurts his thumb, breaks his ribs, whatever it might be, he's usually the culprit of that, and that can't happen. I didn't see James Hurst on his ass today. In fact, I saw him putting guys down on their ass, and I thought James Hurst looked really good. And do you want to have Pete and Easton back for the playoffs? Absolutely, because depth and health is wealth. But, man, I, I thought Hurst looked better. And it's interesting that sometimes this offense clicks when 75 is not in the lineup. And I'm not saying he's not a good player or or I'm saying he's the worst player on this team because he's not the worst player on this team, okay? He's not. But, man, sometimes I'm, like, ready for this Andrews Pete thing to be over, and then you realize that he's got a couple of years left on his new deal, and you're like, all right, we're stuck with him. So we'll see what happens. But Sean's got a decision to make. Do you put Andrews Pete back in the starting lineup? My guess is yes, he will. But I'm not so sure I would. And I'm not so sure you guys would either because you guys are sick of the mistakes. The O-line looked really good today. And, yes, they were playing a weak Minnesota defense, which I told you on the previous podcast they would be able to take advantage of. But they still, you still got to do your job. You still got to line up against those 11 guys and you need to go to work. And the Saints did that without Andrews Pete. And that is really important for me. I'm really interested to see what happens when Pete comes back because Sean Payton, that's why he gets paid the big bucks. He's going to have to figure this out. And there's no easy decision here because you're paying Pete the money, but is Pete the better player? And I'm not so sure. And I know people are going to get mad. I know a couple of specific people who love Andrews Pete. And yes, there are people out there who love Andrews Pete. They're going to say this is bullshit. What's bullshit is constantly doing the same thing. And insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. And we know what the result is with Andrews Pete. Just like, can we see, if James Hurst dominate, if, if Pete doesn't play week 17 and Hurst looks dominant again, I'm sorry, Hurst, your left guard for the playoffs. I don't want to hear it. I really don't. Um, but that's the last thing I wanted to say about that mini rant because I got more important things to talk about, and that's a defense. Quan Alexander's out for the year. Torn Achilles. I thought it was a torn Achilles when it happened. I try not to say anything, but you could see he was grabbing his heel. And it's brutal. And there's no beating around the bush. This is not the next man up bullshit. This is not, I'm not one of those people. Like, next man up is a great mentality to have, absolutely. But you also have to realize next man up really only works when you have guys behind where the gap in talent is not that big. And the gap in talent between Quan and the next available linebacker is pretty fucking big. And remember... This defense didn't really take off until they traded for Quan Alexander. Now, they beat the crap out of the Buccaneers without Quan Alexander, so I get that. I'll give them credit. But this defense really took off when they had Quan over there to take the you know the pressure off of DeMario, take a little bit less off his plate, help out your all-pro linebacker, and that's what Quan does. He's speedy. He's rangy. The energy the energy is probably the one thing for Quan that, ranges, that just goes above everything else when I'm ranking him. He has an infectious mentality and mindset that really just leaks out to the other guys in a good way. He's a good leader, brings a lot of energy and passion to the game, and the Saints are going to miss that, and the Saints are going to need Alex Anzalone to step up and make plays. Here's the interesting thing, though, and this is why, even though it, it is going to end in heartbreak for Quan in terms of him being on the field, the Saints always made the right move here to acquire him. One, they didn't give up a lot of draft compensation, okay? It's a lower-level draft pick. Two, I'm a good friend, Ralph Marlborough from... Uh, the Saints Happy Hour podcast. First off, they have great tweets all the time anyway during games, but he had a really good point. Quan Alexander playing 
spared you from Anzalone playing a full game season. And I'm not saying he spared you from Anzalone playing because he's not good. I don't think Anzalone's special, but I don't think he's bad by any means. But Anzalone is injury prone. If Anzalone had to play the full season, he's not making it to the playoffs. He didn't have to because Quan was doing it. And now you really can't say Anzalone's not going to be ready for the playoffs because, buddy, the playoffs are here. So it's time to rock. It's time to roll. And you're going to see what Anzalone has. And mind you, Anzalone is in a contract year. I don't think he's going to get anything special. But if Anzalone has three good games in the playoffs, you don't think there's going to be a team out there like the Jets or the Giants that may throw a bag at him and say, yeah, let's take this guy. He's a rangy, talented linebacker, and we'll see what he's got. It's a possibility. But when Craig Robertson's out there, you are fucked. I mean it. You are absolutely fucked if Craig Robertson's out there as your starting linebacker. So the Saints avoided that reality because Anzalone will be the other linebacker. And it's not a great option. I get that. But the gap between Anzalone and Robertson is pretty damn big, okay? It's bigger than the gap between Michael Strahan's teeth. That's how important it is. That's how big it is. And for me, that's why at the end of the day, you are absolutely heartbroken for Quan, but you still like, all right, thank God they did make that trade, though, because there's still a little bit of benefit here even in this bad situation. Now, I still want to keep talking about the defense. There's some things that concern me, some things, some things that really excite me. So let's do the bad, and then we'll get to the good, because the good is something that really has me pumped for the playoffs. And the bad for me is the defensive line. I know they were missing Trey Hendrickson. I know they were missing Malcolm Brown. But God damn, how many times do we have to sit here and say Marcus Davenport almost had a sack and I'm probably one of the biggest Marcus Davenport defenders out there and it's almost hypocritical of me because I rip the Andrews Pete defenders but goddamn, sometimes Marcus Davenport is just as bad during certain games Davenport has the talent but he rushes a quarterback with no plan he just goes in says I'm gonna throw my big fucking body around and we're gonna figure it out and he doesn't figure it out and he will get some pressure from time to time but if I were to rank defensive line for the Saints it's Trey Hendrickson Cam Jordan David Onyemata those are my three those are my top three defensive linemen and then we'll talk Davenport around the four or five range and that's a problem he needs to be better. When Trey misses the game, someone's got to step up. And I know Cam Jordan didn't do much, but Cam Jordan at least finished the game with a sack and a forced fumble. What the hell did Marcus Davenport do during this game? What did, Seriously, what did he do? What did he do? I think Emmanuel Sanders had just as many tackles as him because he probably had that pick. What did Marcus Davenport do in this game? He did nothing, and I get it. He's still raw, but he was raw, and he traded up for him. It's frustrating. I'm getting frustrated. When I'm getting frustrated about Marcus Davenport, folks, we got a problem because I'm usually very patient with this man and I have lost my patience because he needs to be better. And thank God they sat Trey because the goal for Trey Hendrickson, and from what everyone's saying, this is not a serious injury. It was a short week. You sit him. Trey's that dude. And also, <laughs> speaking of important decisions you got to make, Saints got to figure out a way to get Trey Hendrickson back in the building. You franchise tag him if you have to. I don't care. The guy is that important to this defensive line. And he's been so damn good this year. You saw with him out of the lineup, they weren't that effective. Now, the good, because there is good to this, okay? The secondary, I thought, did a really good job, or at least a decent job, without, just, uh, without excuse me, uh, Marcus Williams in the lineup. And you're going to say, well, Kirk threw for 290 yards. He threw three touchdowns. He had, the, you know, no interception. So let's use context, because context is really important. One of the touchdowns, and probably their best drive of the game, was in garbage time. I don't really care about that. One of his other touchdowns came literally two plays after Drew Brees' pick off Emmanuel Sanders' hand, where they were basically in the in the Saints' territory around the 40, 30-yard line. They already had good field position. I don't really care about that. Offense puts you in a bad spot. The first drive of the game was really good for them with Dalvin Cook, and then the Saints ended up letting Irv Smith sleep, uh, you know, slip out. 
for that. So that's a Malcolm Jenkins problem. And they really got to the goal line because of a, a phantom call on Malcolm Jenkins, P.I. and Adam Thielen. So in context, the defense was not as bad as people thought it was. You're going to look at 33 points, but when you turn this thing into a shootout, folks, you're going to give up points. And it doesn't really matter. The Saints, gave, the Saints scored 52. You live with the 33, especially after not having Marcus Williams, not having Trey Hendrickson, not having Malcolm Brown. That's three starters that you're missing, three important, really good players. And your defense played 92 snaps last week. Oh, and Quan Alexander got injured in the game with, at least, I think, like a whole half to play almost. So these are important things. It's context. And here's the main thing for me. Marshawn Lattimore, next-gen uh, stats, showed that he had Justin Jefferson locked up. Basically had him locked up. Um, and I'll find it real quick here. Marshawn Lattimore aligned uh, aligned across from Justin Jefferson on 35 of his 41 routes, limiting Jefferson to three catches for 44 yards on seven targets as his nearest defender. So, Marshawn Lattimore's back, folks. I, I waited to say this, and people are going to say I'm jumping the gun. I'm not jumping the gun. Marshawn Lattimore's back to doing his thing. I didn't want to get so hyped up about him locking down Tyreek Hill because it was one game and the Saints lost anyway. And I was like, you know what? Let's see what happens. Let's see what he does against Justin Jefferson, who, by the way, is one of the best receivers this year. So don't give me the rookie excuse. He's one of the best receivers this year. Justin Jefferson couldn't go anywhere against Marshawn. And what I love the most was late in the game when the Saints and the rest of the defense wasn't playing their best. Kirk was targeting Justin Jefferson in the red zone and Marshawn's like, that shit's not going to fly with me. It's not going to fly with me. And Marshawn needs to play well down this stretch if he wants to get his contract extension, so we'll see. But I thought he played really well. And when Marshawn's on top of his game, that's when the defense really takes off. The defense excels when Marshawn Lattimore's playing well because when he takes the top wideout out, you take the number one read from the quarterback away, you take their best option, you really kind of take one side of the field away, um, and it really it's a game changer. So if Marshawn's going to be on, and I think he is, especially with the playoffs around the corner, you know he's going to be highly motivated, whether he's facing Hopkins or Robert Woods or uh, Mike Evans or Devontae Adams, whoever it may be, DK Metcalf, every team in the NFC has a great receiver. Even Washington's not a good team. Terry McLaurin, great receiver. He's going to be highly motivated. So I'm really excited to see what Marshawn does. Now, before I wrap this up, guys, I really want to talk about briefly the playoffs. They're on the horizon. They got one week left, and then you have basically that week off till you get to the playoffs. So what does this team do in terms of rest? A lot of you say you got to play for the number two seed. I guess I kind of agree because I think the Cardinals are the best matchup for the Saints in the first round. At the same time, Rest is really important. Health is wealth. We're going to keep saying that here. And we saw last year the Saints kind of went for it all. Vikings took that week off. Who won the playoff game? The Vikings did. They took off. They let their guys rest, and it paid off. So if you're the Saints, if you think that little extra time off is that important, and it arguably is, then yeah, I think resting is fine. I have no problem with it. I would just love to know what the what the idea is going to be going into that game because if the Saints are going to rest going into that game, you're not really worried. You're not stressing out. Um, if they don't say anything till game time, you, your whole mindset as a fan is going to be different. So what do you do? I think you don't play Marcus Williams, let him rest. I think you don't play Trey Hendrickson, let him rest. So those two off the table. Malcolm Brown, if you want to get him in, get him in for a couple snaps, but just having him for the playoffs would be huge. The run defense is not the same without big Malcolm in there. Malcolm in the middle, uh, the guy is absolutely outstanding against the run. So having him back would be great. Mike and Deontay, you don't got to worry about because they're coming back in the playoffs, so you don't have to worry about rushing them back. They're going to be ready for that time. And getting Michael Thomas back would be huge because he's so damn good. Even at 75%, he's better than 90% of wide receivers. He's that good. So you worry about there. But what do you do with Breeze? That's the big decision. Do you sit him? Do you let him get a couple more reps under his system? I, I can make an argument for both. I can make an argument for sitting him, giving another week off for those ribs. I can make an argument for getting more uh, you know reps underneath his belt. 
and kind of working out the kinks that have been bothering him the last two weeks. So I can make an argument for both. I'm putting Alvin Kamara on ice. That boy's ready to go. And uh, I'm probably putting Emmanuel Sanders on ice because I think he's ready to go as well. So the Saints have interesting decisions to make. I'm also giving Ramchek a week off. I don't give a shit. I, I don't give a shit. If Pete's back, kick Hurst to right tackle. Figure this thing out. I'm giving Ramchek the week off. You need that boy to be ready for the playoffs. So the Saints have interesting decisions to make. I'm curious to hear what you guys think about that, though, uh, because I could go either way. I really can. I could be persuaded here. Um, we'll see how the week goes on. We'll see the weekend, what, what everything plays out in terms of playoff scenarios. You got the... Bucks are playing Saturday. You got Packers Sunday night. You got in the middle of the day uh, Rams Seahawks. That's a big one for playoff indications, uh, implications. Excuse me. So we'll see what happens. But I think it's going to be interesting to see what card the Saints play. But I think they're in a good spot. The offense, even though the offense didn't even look great, like the offense had issues. They scored fifty-two points. Like when the hell does that happen? So I think there's a lot to like about this Saints team. There's a lot to be worried about in the same regard. But at the end of the day, you got to have a positive mindset. And it's what I've been saying and preaching this entire year. Half the battle in the NFL, excuse me, especially in the playoffs, is the ball going to bounce your way? Hasn't bounced the, the Saints' way in the last three years. Maybe it bounces their way this year. But the only way you know and the only way you find out to see if you are lucky enough for the ball to bounce your way is constantly plugging at the playoffs and getting their back uh, year in, year out. The Saints have been fortunate enough to do that four times in a row have they won the division. And we'll see if it finally pays off this week. But that's going to do it, guys, for this edition of the Straight Up Saints podcast. Remember, if you guys haven't already, subscribe to Sports Overtime. Me and Nader are going to have our first show January 20th with a special guest, a pretty notable player on the Saints. So it's going to be fun to have that one up and running. Uh, so do that. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to Straight Up Saints if you haven't already. I hope you guys had a great Christmas, capped off by that Saints blowout win over the Vikings. Enjoy a stress, uh, stress-free weekend of football since there's nothing really on for us to watch. And get ready, because it's going to be interesting to see what the Saints do for Week 17. But we'll cross that bridge when it gets there. I appreciate you guys for listening. I hope you guys enjoy your Christmas, enjoy your weekend. And I'll get back to you real soon with more content here on the Straight Up Saints podcast.